Hello there, you're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be doing an update on the dual strike of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. And we'll be talking about the state of the industry. Let us jump into the box office breakdown for July 28th to July 30th. In first place, yet again, no surprise, Barbie continuing its domination with $93 which was a 42% drop, and it has surpassed already $350 domestic. Insanity. Yeah, they don't call me the king for nothing. Well, no one calls you that, so. Uh, Not in your circle. (laughs) Coming in second was Oppenheimer with $46.7 million. That's a 43% drop, also pretty stronghold. And it has now reached $174 million domestically. Insane. Barbenheimer, once again. I mean, they're like on par, too, with almost an identical drop. Craziness. They both beat out the newest film to hit the multiplex. Haunted Mansion only got $23 million in its opening weekend. After that was Sound of Freedom with twelve million that brings its domestic total to a hundred and fifty million, which is crazy. It absolutely is. Mission Possible Dead Reckoning, ten point six million, still falling behind Sound of Freedom. It may end up making less, I mean almost certainly at this point, than Sound of Freedom domestically. Indeed. Just shocking. In- incredibly crazy. After Dead Reckoning is the new indie horror film Talk to Me with ten million. Indiana Jones, Dow Destiny with four million. Elemental with three point four million. That makes its domestic total one hundred and forty-five million now. And Insidious, The Red Door with three point two million. Across the Spider Verse with one point four million. And dropping out of the top ten, No Hard Feelings only made four hundred thousand, but that was able to bring it to fifty million domestic. So a nice little total gross there for that comedy film. And then Transformers Rise of the Beasts, also out of the top 10. But it has been able to reach 150 million domestic and 430 million worldwide. Which, all things considered, is not too great, considering Bumblebee was able to get 460 million. So, yeah, still a drop. Prospects for the Transformers franchise not looking great right now. Not great at all. Now we can talk about our box office predictions for August 4th to the 6th. The big thing we want to talk about is what is Barbenheimer going to do in its third weekend? Ryan, any big guests? Guesses. So big guesses. Having a sub 50% drop in its second weekend after having the huge opening of like $160 million. That's just craziness. Absolutely hold on. So hold on. it'll probably do another magnificent hold. I'm going to say... 58 million but it'll probably get past 60 million if we're being honest yeah let's and let's let's be honest (laughs) let's go ahead and be honest and then with oppenheimer that one is having a bit more competition whether or not it'll end up in second place to make sure that barbenheimer stays on top collectively we'll have to see if that actually occurs i think it'll Probably get close to thirty million. Uh, I don't know if it'll be able to cross it. I'm hoping not. <laughs> Selfishly, for the draft, it, uh, it doesn't continue to have incredible holds. May but do so because get they high twenties. They are extending their IMAX run by a few weeks. Are they not? Um, I mean, yeah, that wouldn't really affect this weekend though, because it wasn't going to get taken away. But, but that, I think it's it just because have long legs. It certainly will, no doubt. But what do you think this will get for its third weekend? I think thirty million is a good guess. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll go up. Maybe it'll bounce up to fifty. Who knows? Okay, <laughs> something about that one. Anything's possible when I'm doing this well. Well, well, not quite fifty million, but definitely it will have another magnificent hold. But there's two new releases coming out this weekend that may be able to take second place away from it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and The Meg 2, The Trench, both of which are coming out. I think both of these, again, will be mid to high 20 million, 
Don't know I think if teenage either will crack will be. I think the Meg is going to be sub 20. Really? I think so. It'd be a pretty big drop off. The last one, I think, made like high 30 million. I don't think it's going to do as well. There hasn't been as much marketing, at least not that I've seen. And uh, I don't think people are in for the Meg 2. I'm going to guess 18 for the Meg 2. Wow. Interesting. So, yeah, we'll see if that comes to pass. That's pretty low, though. No, I think it'll be able to crack 20 million at least. But bet you a dollar. We shall see. I'll take that bet. All right. <laughs> so, there we go. Barbenheimer, Barbie at least will be on top. We'll see if Oppenheimer retains second place. Now to start talking about the strikes. So WGA has been on strike since May 2nd, so they're nearing 100 days of the strike. And SAG-AFTRA is nearing a full month of the strike. They started on July 14th. And again, this is pretty huge, historically speaking. I mean, the last writer strike happened in 07 and 08. SAG, their last like big official strike was 1980. Again, there have been more recent strikes. Like there was a commercial actor strike in 2000, and there were like larger members of SAG that were, you know, participating in that. But I don't know. I guess that somehow didn't qualify as an official one. So 1980 is what's considered their last major strike. And the last time that both of these unions were on strike at the same time was 1960. So pretty big deal that we're seeing these two unions go on strike at the same time at this moment in Hollywood. So lots of craziness going on with that. A lot of big issues at play. So we've talked about some of this before, like once, you know, we first got wind of these unions going on strike. So all of that is still like the main sort of asks that they're going for, wanting better requirements for the writer's rooms for the duration of employment, the pay scales, all of that is, you know, reasonable and obvious sorts of desires that the unions have. The thing that I wanted to hone in on was the stuff related to streaming and the numbers related to that, like the financials there and artificial intelligence. Cause those are the two elements that make this moment in Hollywood a turning point. In the same way that, like, in 0708, once streaming was about to begin, that was one of the main reasons for them going on strike there. For this one, it's definitely, I think, AI. And then still the idea of, like, the streaming wars have fully gone into full swing. I mean, like, broadcast, cable, TV is going the way of the dodo. So it's all about, like, these big streaming services that every single studio has. And all these original shows that they're putting out there and how that has changed the game for the way that writers, actors, all these people are compensated. So you remember back when we did that one discussion about streamers and like mm -hmm. the profitability of that? Yeah. It was like after our Lord of the Rings episode. Yeah, we did we have had a the whole tangent. debate about that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I still feel like all those points I brought up there, I still feel them and even more so now that were like well past um, the pandemic and like, you know, that sort of could have acted as an excuse for what was going on with the streamers. But I think now at this point, like it is fairly obvious that they thought they had a gold rush on their hands. Everyone went in to churn out a bunch of quote unquote content as they would call it. Um, and then it was just way too much all at once. Mm -hmm. There's not enough attention to go around from all the audience members and consumers. And so we've seen, which is like a horrible consequence of it, but we've seen now like shows getting taken off streaming services, like original programming yeah, that were created too, for these streaming services gone. getting taken away. Yeah, movies and no as well. no physical releases anywhere. No DVDs, no copies anywhere. So they're just gone from existence completely. Exactly. And that is awful that, that is like this is, is where it's coming yeah. so they try to you know have this huge boon and again like all the content they can have on their streaming service to bring people in have that exclusivity to their own particular streaming service 
And then because it is a, an original to a streaming thing, yeah, they don't have the physical releases. And so now imagine if you're a fan of any of these things that have now been taken away, like you're just hoping that one day they put them back on their services or that they do what we've seen a bit more of, of like the licensing, right? Like with Westworld being licensed out. Um, there's some other things too, like Insecure is still on HBO, but that's also licensed out to Netflix at the moment. So that again, these stream services can find other revenue streams for these shows they've mm-hmm. produced. And the way that used to happen was through licensing them to like Netflix. Like yeah. when there were no HBO Max or Disney Plus or Paramount Plus, Netflix was like the big streaming service or Hulu that they would license it out to. And that could be a revenue stream. So it's funny that that is now being a thing that the studios are turning back to in order to scrounge up more ways of getting some moolah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just the fact that you could work so hard on a project and think, oh, this will be its home in perpetuity. It'll be on the streaming service. People can always just fire it up and find it and watch it and enjoy it. And then now mm-hmm. it's just taken away. Just gone. So that they don't have to pay residuals, which I'm also like wondering about that. Like if the argument is, this isn't a popular enough show, but we still have to pay residuals. At that point, I'm wondering, like, because that would be tied to the amount, like, its performance, like, how much it's being seen. So is it really to that point where what they would have to expend on residuals for a show that isn't watched that much? Like, I, I just don't understand how that could be the case, where it's like, oh, we need to take it away entirely to avoid having to pay any residuals, even though it's not a popular show and so the residuals wouldn't even be that much it's possible i mean some of it has to do with probably server space just sheer space alone if it's not making enough money they'll boot it off which is crazy to think that they would do that for an original like back in the day it was always if you licensed out something and so like if netflix owned like a show that was made on showtime or something or on like amc or something and it just wasn't doing well they would just stop licensing it so it wouldn't take up so much space and they could put on shows that would be popular but the idea of them backing content and like making original content for a streaming service and like it being not popular enough and wanting to boot it for residuals or for server space is just absolutely insane. It's like it's like uh, the ninety percent of movies made between nineteen twenty and nineteen thirty, like that kind of era, just don't exist anymore because they were only on physical media and now they're gone. Now it's the exact mm-hmm. same thing, but in reverse. I mean, the only way to access it was for, through a streaming service, and if it's not up there then you can't watch it anymore, which is horrible. It's it's the importance of having both, having a digital copy available online somewhere and having a physical media. Like, there are still movies that are hard to find. Like, Ron, for example, um, Akira Kurosawa's Ron, it's hard to find a copy of that anywhere in, in physical print because Criterion doesn't have the rights anymore to make Criterion editions, so they can't produce any more Ron DVDs and whoever owns the rights to the movie isn't making any new physical copies of it. So it was very hard for me to get my copy of Ron. It was like $60 somewhere to get the Criterion version printed maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And it's also very hard to find it streaming anywhere. Like you might be able to find it on Amazon and pay to rent it, but it's not streaming free anywhere or as part of a streaming service anywhere. I think, Cyber, though, right now, I think it is actually on Prime Video. You did? For yeah. free, I think. Like it's included in the Prime thing. So for right now, you somebody can go got and somebody found somebody cared to buy the streaming rights for Ron, I guess. But for a while, it wasn't like that. It right. was very, very hard to find anywhere. But that's definitely one of those ones where it will leave shortly because Prime yeah. Video definitely has that where it's like a, a carousel thing. And you see that with other films too, where like there are a few films that are on HBO right now and also on Netflix, like. The licensing works out to where like both these platforms can have it on um mm-hmm. but those always are shifting and changing and so it may expire for one soon and it may still remain on like netflix but then that would expire and then mm-hmm. there could be a period in time where it doesn't pop up on any of those streaming services yeah with those bigger like blockbusters i mean that's not too much a problem because the physical media for that is easier to find but for a film like ron and a lot more of those like smaller projects. I know there's a whole thing with Turner classic movies as well, where HBO was wanting to sell off a lot of that, like get rid of a lot of those films. Um, they had also 
they were selling off their music libraries as well. Um, like all these different ways that they're just trying to get rid of stuff in order to save money or compensate for the losses that trying to shift so heavily into streaming has mm -hmm. caused. It's causing a lot of turmoil, leaving a lot of things up in the air as to whether or not like these artists work will be able to be seen and enjoyed or if it's just going to be written off for tax credit or disappear entirely to save money on again those residuals things like that so yeah it's a very frustrating time because you would have thought like oh it's great that streaming is getting so big to where we'll be able to see all these different amazing films and the accessibility will be increased in a lot of ways that has happened but now we're seeing the darker side of it which is they're going to start picking and choosing what things will actually be available and certain things just won't be around and then even those original programs created for streaming by streamers will also be at risk of just disappearing entirely mm -hmm. which is ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous yeah truly absurd so that's interesting that that's not like any of the issues that were raised um, by WJ or SAG of like trying to have some sort of guarantee of like if a program is made by a streamer, like it has to stay on the platform for however long. Maybe that is part of what we'll they'll talk about in regards to the residuals, but I haven't seen that as a specific item they've discussed, um, which I mean, yeah, I don't know, maybe as the problem continues to escalate as we get deeper into like the streaming era and this happens more and more often, it'll maybe be a bigger ask that they have next time the negotiations come around. But yeah, this yeah. is truly crazy to see. Um, the other thing is with streamers, what they've done, like Netflix, they've sort of made it a bit more, um, available to see of like, oh, how many minutes or hours has it been streamed in total? So they show that, but that doesn't give a good enough breakdown, I think, of like the audience, how many people are watching it, how many individual like households are actually watching it. Um, they don't give a solid enough breakdown of that. And because of that, they also don't allow the creatives or anyone who wants to know about it as well see the profitability of their shows. Mm -hmm. or of their streaming movies as well, original um, streaming films. So that has been another big element to the negotiations that the unions are looking for is they want to have clarity on how successful or unsuccessful are these shows that are being created by the streamers. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, we saw there's, I think, the story of Wednesday, uh, like the writer for that, literally was struggling to pay for rent mm -hmm. a few months after Wednesday had of course become one of like biggest shows on Netflix ever. Yeah. Um, like one of the top three or five, I think. And so he was at some like conferencing and talking about that fact of like, yeah, it's huge and it's amazing. And it's making Netflix so much money. And I'm seeing so little of that because the contract, the way it's oriented is it doesn't, account for whether or not it becomes extremely successful and becomes like this huge new like franchise for Netflix. So the pay that he's getting is just based on what it was at the outset. Again, Netflix sort of pays upfront um, in their model and doesn't have any sort of system in place for those residuals of like, Oh, if you grant mm -hmm. us like one of the biggest shows ever like squid game or Wednesday or whatever, um, then you'll be compensated for that in the same way that like with Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick, like the way that he has those back-end deals to where if that was huge, which it was, he got like 80 million to 100 million or something mm -hmm. like that from just the back-end deal. Yeah. So that stuff doesn't exist for streaming. And that can be very essential, especially when there's these other things going on with Netflix and the streamers that we've mentioned before, like the writer's rooms, the way they'll create like these small mini rooms to break the story for the whole season. And then they'll just get rid of that writer's room and then bring on like one or two other writers to actually write out those episodes. Yeah. So they don't have to pay a full writing staff and they don't have to do 
it for like the entire season. They can just bring yeah. on like a few people to take care of the episodes. And you know there's what I saw about like, pay scale for those. You know what I saw about Disney Channel? What's that? There was uh, one of the stars of I think the show is Live and Maddie. Uh, he was talking about how Disney, the way that it used to work is if you were on a show as a cast or crew member and it lasted more than three seasons, if it was less than three seasons, you would get paid a percentage of scale, like 88%. So you'd be making less than you're supposed to be making. But if it was successful and you lasted longer than three seasons, you'd make 100% of scale, which means you'd be making what you're supposed to be making because it's a successful show. And mm-hmm. so what Disney would do is that they would run a show for three years, and if it was popular, they would cancel the show and then just rebrand it as a new show with a new name. So like Sweet Life, Sweet Life on Deck, Live and Maddie, Live and Maddie, Go to California, or Go in Cali, something like that. So they would just completely re-brand the, rebrand the shows, and then they would just be making a new show and be paying you 88% of scale instead of 100%, even though you're pretty much working on the same show. Wow. Which is crazy. That is crazy. Why is it allowed, though, that they, for the first three seasons anyway, would be paid not at full scale i have like, no why idea was that even a thing especially if these are like child actors too right it's insane yeah but, i mean yeah that makes sense because all the those like shows they never really got past three seasons yeah i know and then they would if they were popular they would just rebrand and make a new show but it would pretty much just be the old show i mean sweet life on deck only has a few differences from sweet life like a few characters changed mm-hmm but for the most part, it's the same show. Just on a cruise ship. <laughs> True. Yeah, that is that is wild. But it goes to show like everything that they'll do to try and cut costs and why something like this is so needed to make sure that, especially given like the inflation and everything like that, I'm sure the pay scales that they're currently working under were for you know, the economy pre pandemic. So that definitely needs to change regardless. And then also, yeah, these ideas of like residuals and being able to be paid um, for the success of your work, like if it becomes something huge, that becomes a continual stream of income for Netflix or for any of those big companies. Yeah. And you should also be able to benefit from that. Um, instead of just having to be like oh you're brought on again for season two but it's still the same thing of like oh it's a incomplete writer's room and the episodes are much uh like the episode count is much smaller like we talked about that of broadcast being 22 23 episodes nowadays netflix it's like eight episodes which is like absurd and then the disney marvel shows like there are six episodes so it's like insane how different it is like you would be able to depend on maybe three or four episodes you can write in a season plus you're getting paid for being part of the writer staff if you were in a writer's room in the 2000s working on a network tv show but again nowadays you'd be lucky to be brought on for a mini room for a streamer and then Mm -hmm. you probably don't even get brought on to write Write any of those eight episodes so yeah it's crazy it's absurd network television used to have 20 something episodes a season 22 24 episodes Mm -hmm. you could easily write three or four episodes yourself like for like an ncis or like uh uh what's scolder x files something like that exactly so yeah crazy times the shift that has happened the business model again is definitely changed but the way that people are getting compensated has not. So again, that's why it's so necessary for these unions to be asking for these changes to the deals. Another big thing, the artificial intelligence. So we've talked about that in regards to the writers of, you know, chat GPT and these other sort of AI software that are becoming a bit more developed and advanced and are able to have the sophisticated pattern recognition, um, systems that can try to replicate like common story beats or through act structure, things like that. So that is definitely something that the studios want to be able to use so that they can cut down on the need for writers even more. Why even have a mini writer's room when you can just have a chat GPT software thing pump out the the story outline for the season and then you have a writer or two come in and write episodes based off of that 
So now that you're paying only one to two riders instead of maybe six to eight total for the mini room, which already is like you cutting corners and avoiding having to pay for a full staff uh, of riders. So they're trying to do that. The riders obviously trying to avoid that, making sure that it can only be used by the riders themselves if they want to as a means to like do research or uh, try out things, experiment, but never should it be used as like writers are coming on to rewrite something that has been pumped out by an AI Yeah, with the actors as well. This is also an issue with them because with deep fake technology and the AI voice technology getting so good lately, like in the past year, it's been crazy. It is crazy. Um, I mean, it has a good side though. I mean, those videos of like plankton singing, <laughs> so funny. That's true. Again, it, like, like all the, things, it can be the clone fun. trooper and the and the droid doing the the duet. Have you seen that one? The battle no. droid. Oh my god! Uh, I got to show it to you when I see you in person next. Oh my god! It's so funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like fun to play around with. Of yeah, hearing <laughs> plankton or other popular characters covering these songs or creating entirely new songs like the Drake and weekend collaboration that <laughs> sounded so much like the real song, um, like a real song that they would pump out. There's like those videos of the presidents playing games together. Have you oh, seen yeah. those? <laughs> yeah. So that stuff, it's like, Oh yeah, it can be fun and entertaining, but it can also be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Um, Cause honestly, yeah, like the Joe Biden one particularly, it was like eerily good. So yeah. combine that with the deepfake technology that is also getting extremely good. Um, like, yeah, it's obviously going to open up a can of worms. It's going to make things a lot more complicated, having to parse out what's true, what's not, all of that. Like just misinformation propaganda is going to be insane in the coming years. Yeah, for sure. But in regards to art, like we've also seen... AI art a lot of times and again there's like some drawbacks here and there of like they're unable to create hands well or like have the right mm -hmm. number of fingers but at a certain point that is going to get refined and they are going to be able to pump out things that to the average person on the street they may not be able to pick out what is AI versus what is something created by a human so the danger there is can that technology get sophisticated enough to the point where it can create performances and make it indistinguishable from what a real person could do. Mm -hmm. And could studios just do that of why do we need to pay Harrison Ford or Jennifer Lawrence or someone to come in and do this work when we could just have an AI recreate their voice, have a software like do a deep fake on them, just have a stand in, do all the motions, but then we just put the face, put the voice on there, and then boom, now we have a new Indiana Jones movie, but when he's young in the 80s, and oh, we have a new, mm -hmm. I don't know, Hunger Games movie with Jennifer Lawrence, if so she didn't want to come back for that. So yeah. that is the danger for the actors, is they want to make sure that they're not ever going to be replaced by these robots or by AI technology. Um, and then also there's another factor to it of background actors, this came up in I like a WandaVision thing or some sort of Marvel Disney thing where apparently I don't know how true this is or not, but they were said that they were scanned by I don't know this AI technology so that they could use their likeness in perpetuity for like any project that comes Ooh. afterwards. So they could just like populate that. any scene they needed with extras with these like these AI recreations of actors or extras that they once had on a project bro it's literally like bojack horseman mm -hmm. which sucks <laughs> yeah absolutely it's um that's also a very scary thing so i don't know again how like true that was um but that is definitely a fear that is popping up now is that could happen to where yeah like these background actors or people trying to get small minor roles, they could be cut out entirely because they can just reuse the likeness of someone they had before. And then they can, mm -hmm. I don't know, just have more control of that. And again, they don't have to pay out any money to an AI recreation. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, that could also just, in the same way, like the writer's room thing has completely damaged the ability for people to have like a natural growth in their career, mm-hmm. yeah. like damage actors that are trying to break into the industry and then they're just never able to have a launching pad. Um, yeah. So that stuff is scary. What do you think about like the AI stuff? Like I would love to believe that the technology is never going to get to a point where it can pump out a script that is as good as what a human could do or that at least to the like common viewer where they would be able to notice a difference and therefore dislike the AI created writing um, just like that more. But so I, I don't, I don't know that I fully believe that. And that's, what's like scary about it to me. So what are so you thought about? about this when I was a kid, you remember when the adventures of Tintin movie came out that Spielberg mm-hmm. made and mm-hmm. it was like, it was, it was, it, they had that uncanny valley kind of feeling of like it's CGI people and it's kind of realistic, but you know, it's not right. Like we're watching Express the movie type thing. and, and I was like, I was a kid like looking back at it now, it's obviously animated like, obviously, but as a kid I was watching, I was like, is this real? I can't really tell. And so, and I, of course it's fake. I mean, looking at it now, it's obviously fake and looking <laughs> at it then probably I should have realized a lot quicker that it was fake. I was, guess I was just a stupid kid or something, but <laughs> Sitting in the car on the way back home, I thought about it. And like, even then I would wanted to be a filmmaker. I'd always wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I thought like, oh, the only thing that the actors did in that movie was give their likeness and do motion capture and like record their voice. And then they were completely animated over. What if it got to a point where you didn't have to like do the motion capture? You could just do the voice and then animators can animate you in and it looks just like real life. And then I thought at that point, why do you even need to do the voice what if directing just becomes you sit in a room with animators and like voice creators and you just tell them what you want and they can just create a movie that looks just like a real movie and i don't think we're anywhere close to that kind of technology i think that's a long long way down the road but i think it's definitely a possibility like like if 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 like perfect replication is like a line on a graph like a a horizontal line then Mm -hmm. the quality of uh like ai generated images and videos and voices has like been growing closer and closer to that line and like starting to flat line closer to the line so it's like a curved line that's getting closer and closer to this horizontal line and it may never touch it may never cross it may never get close but the closer and closer it gets the less it even matters if it never crosses I mean, if it looks Great. good enough, even if it looks slightly uncanny, if it looks good enough, the studios will just do it because it will be cheaper at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then we're out of quality content because all people are doing is sitting in a room telling animators what they want to see and then having the animators type into an AI and, and like just tweaking it once the AI produces an image. And that is so uh, lazy and backwards and produces like lesser content and like the idea that people have of like developing AI is because they want to get closer to this kind of thing because they're curious I understand I understand the desire to want to see if you could do that to see if you could create a computer that could make a quality TV show as good as any of us could Mm -hmm. but you're playing with fire here like did we not learn anything from Jurassic Park like (laughs) it's it's curiosity that killed artists right yeah, I agree with that. And that's part of why I brought up like in our episode on Oppenheimer, like that sort of comparison point between what they were doing there of pushing the boundaries with uh, like fission and being able to create nuclear energy, essentially, which again, there's upsides to being able to harness that power, right? Like can be used as an energy source. It honestly probably... I mean, there's been like, you know, Three Mile Island and all that stuff that have Chernobyl, things like that, that have turned people off to like nuclear energy stuff. Yeah. But honestly, it it should probably be utilized yeah. a lot more. Um, yeah. There's no reason it shouldn't because it is like better and cleaner and more powerful than a lot of the other, of course, like uh, non-renewable resources we're using of like the fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. So like there are many upsides to that. But then, of course, the major downsides is 
yeah, we are now always at threat of a nuclear holocaust, which can wipe out humanity as we know it. So (laughs) very scary stuff. So with AI, again, it's like, okay, so you can have these uh, like fun little elements to it of having AI covers of songs and things like that. You can have genuine upsides to it as well. Like there are going to be ways where AI stuff can be incorporated. If everyone has their own personal like AI assistant to just take care of more mundane, tedious tasks that could increase like productivity, things like that. Of course, the danger is, you know, is that ever going to be used to afford more leisure time to workers rather than people are just now doing more and more work, but less of it is spent on the tedious stuff Mm. and the productivity is like expected to be much higher without like wage increases matching that. Yeah. There's always a danger of that happening, but there is ultimately going to be that upside, I think. Um, But then the dangers of it too, how many jobs are going to be wiped out because they're going to just going to be replaced by. Yeah. Jobs that are only tedious tasks. Exactly. So they'll just be replaced by AI. We're already seeing this with like the adoption of, self-service checkout in like every single grocery store which again there's like some upsides okay that can be nice but that plus so many restaurants now as well just having it where you come up and order from like the online screen rather than from like a cashier um in most places it's like okay maybe that doesn't matter too much but and this is a very particular instance but you know the steak and shake we go to our little place Mm -hmm. How many times have we gone to that since the pandemic? I haven't been to that Steak and Shake ever, like since then. There you go. I don't think I have. I've been there like twice uh, since then. Part of the reason why is because they've completely done away with like the most minute, minuscule little part of like that old school diner experience that like Steak and Shake is trying to emulate. Um, which is having a human being there to actually like take your order or like give you water, or bring your food to you or something like that. Like an actual Again, it wasn't yeah. great service or anything. It's like a fast food restaurant, but it's trying to emulate that style of like, Oh, old school 50 diners. Sure. And the like best part of that is like having a nice friendly person come up and like talk with you and make you feel like you're at a nice warm homey establishment yeah so they've done away with that all you do now is just order online and then they like call out or they order at one of those kiosks and then they'll call out your name and you go up to it Hmm? they put kiosks in yeah that's crazy i haven't seen them yet let's go to steak and shake (laughs) we can we'll uh we'll go there and you can see for yourself but the vibe is just so different and i remember those times like when we would go out and we're at the table and whatnot and it's a small thing. Again, it doesn't matter like that much in the grand scheme of things, I would suppose, but it does make a difference. And that's yeah, at, like, just some sp- at a small like fast food restaurant. But imagine if those other sorts of restaurants incorporate that as well of you just you go to the kiosk, you put in your thing, then someone maybe comes by. But then maybe later it's again these like robots that'll be able to come by and bring it to you something like that. It's just it's like something we've seen in every sci-fi movie ever of like the increasing reliance on technology, increasing isolation of humans from each other. We're all in our own bubbles. Everything's being taken care of by every AI. Every day we get closer to Wally. That's what I'm saying. Like Wally, the movie Her, like things like that of like my biggest fear. Like at least half the episodes in Black Mirror. It's like we've seen this so many times of like the dangers and just like without even it getting to like two. I mean, I guess like, yeah, Wally and stuff like that is a dystopian element to it. But what it's emphasizing there is like we're losing our humanity if we put too much stock into like this AI stuff to take care of so many things in our lives. Mm -hmm. Then there's all the other dystopian sci-fi things about AI becoming a threat to us and our existence. Terminator, everything like that. (laughs) Yeah, Dead Reckoning just recently. So it's like we absolutely know Oppenheimer, all of them, they didn't necessarily know. They knew the power that it would have as a bomb, but they didn't know the things of like radiation poisoning and the long-term effects it could have on the environment, things like that. That's mm-hmm. not something they were able to fathom at that point when they were like building that bomb. We know every single possible negative outcome to AI. <laughs> like we've gone through it a thousand times before. 
and yet it's happening. It's like we have to stand by and watch as this is happening and whether or not good enough restraints and regulations are put on them to make sure they don't become developed enough or advanced enough to do any of those like truly awful things that might happen, you know, if they're able Mm -hmm. to become smart enough to reach a level of like semi intelligence um, or sentience. Um, But even then the idea of like us being so dependent, I mean, look at how everyone is with their phones. Imagine if again, we're just able to like tap into all of like the internet being able to do half of the tasks in our day and we don't have to see anyone. We don't have to look at anyone. We don't have Mm -hmm. to interact with anyone for even the most minute things of like, asking for a coffee or getting a food when you go to eat out Mm -hmm. like it's just it's so tragic that this is the way it's going yeah and for us our dream job to be able to create stories and share that with people which is literally about like expressing ourselves and creating connection with others that that could be replaced or dislodged in any way by AI, which just comes in and again, with pattern recognition, they just try and imitate styles, they try and imitate story beats, try try and imitate themes and all that. But never from a place of like lived experience, or genuine um, exploration of these ideas or trying to come to terms with the human condition or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Just replications of that reiterations of that. And that it might at one point be able to do that successfully enough to where someone can't tell the difference or don't care even if there is a difference. That is truly horrifying. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> Very bad. Indeed. Anything else you want to add on to this rant? No, no, I think you, you want to get off the chest. <laughs> no, I think you uh, hit all the high points about AI. Um, I'm proud of you. I, I think this is something you had Thanks. to get off your chest. It was. We were having, I was talking with Ross, a um, friend of the show earlier, like last month, we were on set together. And so we were, that came up and we we're talking about it. And it's just, that's the thing for me. It's like, we know how advanced technology can get, like how it's going to just continue at like an exponential rate to improve. Like we've seen over this last year, like the whole like voice stuff and like deep fake stuff, like it's been around for quite some time now, but it's, so well refined now yeah so i can't imagine within five years what it's going to look like let alone a decade from now or two from now so i can't even begin to imagine like what the landscape of hollywood is going to look like i mean obviously we know like theaters are in a precarious position we have these event films that come out every few months Mm -hmm. that are able to like okay theaters are gonna be okay they're never gonna go away entirely like you know, the big blockbusters are always going to be there, but the smaller films, the mid-budget films. I miss the mid-budget films. Rest yeah, in peace. Gone those things for good. Now we're like, yeah, there's just, there are things that are thrown up on streaming. Um, so that part of it is sad, but then it's also like, yeah, streaming isn't even, at least at this point, they haven't even found a way to make it like profitable and sustainable. And that is screwing over the workers who won't even be able to guarantee that like whatever project they create and labor over for a year or two will be able to be seen by somebody within a year or two. So like that is just, you know, despicable stuff. Ultimately though, I am like optimistic. As you know, I like to try and look at the bright side of things ultimately. So I think we'll be okay. All right. I think we're the on kids the will be all right. A golden age of filmmaking. You said what? We're about to go on the. I think we're on the cusp of a golden age of filmmaking with the the strike leading the way. In, I've seen a a change in attitudes towards the movies being released in terms of box office like success, for sure. There will always be standouts like Mario, where I mean, it's just made a one half billion dollars because it's Mario. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Mission Impossible is starting to take a bit of a downturn in terms of box office stuff. The Marvel movies have a lot of big budget things are starting to go down because they're franchise. But Indiana Jones didn't make that much money either. And now you have things like Barbie that's making a ton of money or Oppenheimer's making a ton of money. Dune, which is, you know, Dune is based on something, but it's still like it's not like a franchise thing. It's an adaptation of a sci fi book. I think people want like fresher ideas. 
And I think we might see the return of the mid-budget movie soon. Hopefully. A24 is trying. Shout out A24. Right. Um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know that I'm fully bought in on that level with you. I mean, I'm Mission in. Impossible, I mean, we think is great in terms of like blockbuster filmmaking. But yet that is still taking downturn. And there's factors for that. I mean, the whole Barbenheimer thing. The strike happened right around there too. So Tom Cruise hasn't been able to... Uh, promote it like he wants things like that has affected that um but yeah there are other like decent films like dungeons and dragons that came out earlier this year that is like okay still somewhat a part of that like ip thing but we'll see how that does um because yeah it's probably not gonna get a sequel even though it was really good i enjoyed it um but yeah on quality alone it didn't seem like it caught fire at the box office the new mutant mayhem movie that is taking after an art style similar to like into the spider-verse where it's not the same old like just very typical uh pixar style animation they're trying to be more like not realistic in a sense but it's just like boilerplate no crazy stylization to it Mm. so i like that approach that's really great getting to see at least just the visual element to it the artistry coming alive there but how well will that movie do i'm not sure but all these things that we've talked about like oppenheimer is aided by christopher nolan's name so that's like a big component to that we'll have to see like napoleon is coming out later this year napoleon is much more famous than oppenheimer ridley scott so a great director is attached to it so it's not like that can be written off as it's well it's not gonna do oppenheimer numbers. we're gonna have to see how well that does because yeah no shot is it doing oppenheimer levels but will no. it even get to 100 million domestic we'll have to see um because oppenheimer is gonna do 300 million domestic napoleon you would expect if it's i mean we'll have to see the quality as well obviously but like that would be a film that 25 years ago would do huge but nowadays, will there even be able to be space for that? I'm not sure. Same with Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. Scorsese, another big name in Hollywood with a story that seems like it's incredible. The film looks like it's going to be amazing. A uh, big cast attached to it as well, like Leonardo DiCaprio, greatest actor of our generation. Is that going to be able to do any numbers similar to Oppenheimer? I'm not sure. Like, Is it just the name of Nolan and the Barbenheimer hype and all this? that made Oppenheimer such a sensation, is that going to be able to be replicated by these other films, by like master directors coming out later this year? I'm hoping so. I really do hope so, because I would love to see more films like that that are be able, able to have success. Um, but I'm not so sure. We'll have to see. It's been an interesting I have high year. hopes. I have high hopes. There's definitely been yeah a shift in like the Marvel movies the big franchise movies with like their fourth, fifth, sixth installments not yeah. doing so well. Um, what if, you know, Christopher Nolan started the trend of superhero movies. What if he starts the trend of very intense biopics? What if, what if Napoleon does insane numbers because Oppenheimer was so good and now everybody makes big $200 million biopics that are like insane. <laughs> I mean, we've already seen a trend in biopics increasing. We have, so yeah, I don't know if he'd be able to take credit for like sparking that, but definitely it'll be one of the bigger biopics we've ever had. So yeah, for sure. That could inspire more people to do more. But yeah, we'd have to see like if Napoleon already isn't able to get like half of what Oppenheimer ends up making, mm-hmm. then I don't know. Hollywood series will probably go for it anyway. Um, but yeah, I just don't think that success will be able to be emulated. But I would prefer something like that of taking these like very unique, intense takes on real figures and trying to do something new with that, interesting with that, rather than yeah, just turning out yet another Marvel film. But I don't know. We'll have to see with like the creator coming out later this year, an original sci-fi film, big budget, looks really good. Rebel Moon shot by Greg Fraser. Zack Snyder's movie. Exactly. That'll be on Netflix, though, so we can't really measure the box office of that. But Fuck. Rebel Moon, yeah, we'll see about that, too. Um, Dune 2 will also be, like, a thing. Because, I mean, that did well that first year, but it's uh, it has a big cast to it. It's trying to do something very different, a much more serious approach. It's not 
like Marvel quips left and right, will there be an audience for it? We'll have to we'll have to see. I hope so. I do hope I so. Not. There will always be some big blockbusters that are around, but I do wish they leaned more towards these original films because we just don't get yeah. that anymore. Like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, like E.T., Jaws, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, all these big franchise starters. When's the last time we had a franchise starter that was like massive? This is literally Avatar, right? <laughs> like, yeah, when was the Avatar last time? was it. You're right. And it took 10 years for the franchise to get going. Yeah. So, I don't know. Interesting times we live in. But again, <laughs> I feel like we should leave it on an optimistic note. Uh, the strikes will be resolved at some point, hopefully later this year. And I do believe WGA and SAG will be able to get all that they're asking for. So that'll be good for the people that are creating these films. And then from there, I'm hoping that once again, more more focus will be put on creating these like big experience, spectacle-driven films that make it necessary to go see it in theaters. I hope that that will be the direction people go in, or at least like attaching a strong uh, writer, strong director that have very clear visions that definitely won't be able to be emulated in any way by like AI, like Oppenheimer, Barbie, those things. Like you're not going to get that from AI. So yeah. hopefully that will be the direction we go in more so. Mm-hmm. And the health of theaters in general will be able to be maintained and then also streaming as well sort of they find a way to balance out creating programming further streaming but doing so in a way where they don't have to like eliminate everything they released last year to be able to fund what they're trying to create this upcoming year like that i just think is not sustainable it's horrible so we need to avoid that yeah is there anything else you want to say about the strikes no, I think I think that's it. Uh, right. In terms of the update for it, like this past week, mm-hmm. they resumed. WGA met with AMPTP. Um, that didn't go anywhere, but they're supposed to meet again next week. So again, I think we still have probably a month or two before it seems like things will resolve. Hopefully it will, like by uh, October will resolve. Um, but conversations are starting to pick up again which is you know a sign of progress at the least so wishing that it gets finished soon and they get everything they're asking for i hope so as well anyway that's all the time we have if you'd like to give your thoughts on the show you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com our main title theme for the show is sundown by joseph mcdade if you like the show please give us five stars whatever podcast app you're listening to and be sure to tune in next week have a great rest of your day Thank you.